Hey there, Pioneers. Welcome to episode number 336. Today's episode, we are going to be talking about how to choose what to get started with when you are starting a new homestead. What's some different criteria that you can use to know what is the best place to start for you? And while this is one of our coaching sessions and it's someone who is starting a brand new homestead, this actually can apply to if you are brand new to homesteading or if you are like myself, looking to add the next thing to the homestead because One of the things I have realized with being both a fifth generation homesteader, as well as my husband and I have been homesteading, I would say very dedicatedly, really serious for 13 years, though we were doing a lot of elements even prior to that for over, how many years have we been married now? Coming on 23 years. But even with that much time underneath our belt, there are still things on my homesteading bucket list that I haven't done yet, or I haven't gotten to do as much or at the level that I would like to do. So I say that because even though this is going to be geared to if you are starting out a brand new homestead, it really is also for those of us who have been at this a while and you're looking at what do I begin to implement next? This is going to help give you some guidance and some criteria all along those lines. So today's episode is one of our Pioneering Today Academy member coaching sessions. Now, to access any of the things that we talk about today, you can go to the direct blog post that accompanies this episode at melissaknorris.com forward slash 336, just the number 336, because this is episode number 336. But we are doing a series of these because the Pioneering Today Academy is my membership. It is one of the oldest online memberships for homesteading, I think, as far as I know, online. We started it back in March of 2016. We are coming up on our, I had to do some quick math there, counting. (laughs) We are coming up on our six-year anniversary of the Pioneering Today Academy. And March 23rd, 2022, is when we will be opening the doors for new members. We have not had open enrollment, um, almost been half a year. If you are interested in becoming a member, you can get on the wait list and you can do that at melissaknorris.com forward slash PTA. We'll also have links in the show notes. But this is just one of the advantages when you are inside the academy and are a member. And we will send out emails to members only and you fill out a form and you have an option to do one of these one-on-one coaching lessons. And we have found that they provide value not only to the person who's getting a one-on-one session, But many of the questions or the areas that people need help in, it's not just them. It applies to so many more. So we have turned these into podcast episodes as well. So I'm really excited to introduce you today to our member, Stephanie. You'll get to hear her story and what her goal is and the steps or the criteria, the guidance from me on how she can reach that, that I know will also apply to you. So without further ado, let's jump to it. Stephanie, I am so excited to have you on today. Welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. Thanks, Melissa. It's going to be great. I'm excited too. Awesome. So 
share with everybody a little bit about your story with homesteading, kind of where you're at and then where you want to see things and how I can help you get there. Well, I've been doing kind of suburban backyard gardening for probably the past six or seven years, expanding a little bit as far as the space I'm gardening every year. I've been doing some studying and of course, taking classes and pioneering today and listening to some mentors and just slowly learning how I want to do it and what to do before I just jump right in. And so my husband passed away in October. And so that's giving me and my kids the opportunity to kind of start over. And so we're looking for some land. It's going to be raw land. So now we're just trying to figure out what the best steps are to just what we need to do first, what we should focus on, and then just kind of, you know, building that from the ground up. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear about your husband, but your attitude and way of looking at it, like, oh, my heart just goes out to you. So with the land that you guys are looking for, I guess, first off, like, what is your ultimate goal that you would like to see? I'm assuming a larger garden with the land. Are you hoping to bring in livestock? Do you have some specific type of livestock that you're wanting to bring in or just first buy the property? If it's raw land, obviously get a house so that you can live on it. But what's kind of like your, like when it's at its dream state (laughs) that you would be doing homestead wise? So this is actually the really fun part. We will actually not be doing a typical house. We are going to be putting yurts up And we'll have a couple of those. And then we would like, yes, of course, a bigger garden, but also chickens. My daughter really wants ducks. And then like hogs, goats, maybe a donkey. And just seeing, I mean, some of it's going to depend on the space we have, but, Mm -hmm. but going from there. But ideally what we'd like to do, we would like to be self-sufficient and be able to not only grow most of our own food, but being able to just depend on what we can do for ourselves. And I actually have a dream of opening a nonprofit and using those skills as far as growing and preserving and homesteading to teach women how to do those things for themselves so that they can earn that confidence and have that and take that and kind of apply it into other areas of their life. Yeah. Well, I I love your dream. I love big dreamers. Like I love hearing (laughs) that. So that's really fun. But of course, that's the dream. And then we have to figure out how to reverse engineer that backwards to the starting point. So you've already got your vision, which is awesome. And I actually, I, one of my best friends growing up, her dad had a big farm and there was a yurt on the farm. And so we always (laughs) love to go over it. So I'm familiar with yurts. I haven't ever lived in one, but uh, they hold a, hold a special place. So I think that the first thing is, is obviously is, is finding the property and then, and you know, there's ideals. I think like with property, at least too, is like, there can be ideals. Like this is the piece in our mind. This is the perfect piece of property that I'm looking for. It needs X, Y, Z. But the reality is, is we can homestead on anything and you really can make any piece of property work. You just sometimes have to be creative or maybe, you know, adjust things along the way. So I say that just because 
we have looked for the perfect piece of property in the past and even currently and realized, no, we're just going to, we're going to make what we have work for us. And so I know when you're looking, like we did the same thing, we're looking for property and, and none of them fit all of the check marks that they needed to for us. So just starting with that and with the gardening part. So the first thing when I go to a piece of property, and this is what we did actually when we moved on to the piece that we're on now, is taking some time to really evaluate the lay of the land because it's a lot harder to put something in the wrong spot and then have to move it later rather than taking some time to evaluate. So for me, one of the things, especially with the garden, is actually where are you located? Do you guys have hard freezes? So I'm in Oklahoma, just outside Tulsa. Okay. Um, we, yes, we will get hard freezes. Okay. Um, okay. I've actually, it was one of the things I'm like, oh, I should know a little bit more about your climate. Um, but this is kind of true for all climates, but especially if you get any types of frosts and freezes. And that is, if it's in the winter time where you're actually getting snow and or frosts and freezes, it's the easiest to identify because you will see exactly where that shade line is where it's the last place to thaw when the, the sun comes up or if you have snowfall, it's the last places that the snow melts, et cetera. If you buy the property when it's not freezing or you're looking at it, then as long as you have a heavy dew, you can really do the same thing. You just have to be there in early, in early morning and go out and you can see where does the dew dry first and where does it dry last? And that, that'll kind of give you the same thing. So that's really good to know because that's going to help you if you are going to be putting in a permanent chicken coop versus like a chicken tractor or permanent barns and stuff. Uh, you're not going to want to have those in that shade line or the frost line uh, during the winter if you have really extreme winters. Um, and then same thing with uh, especially the vegetable garden. You're going to want to make sure that that's in an area that's getting full sun. That's not in a, in a spot that is some of those little colder microclimates for the vegetable garden. Um, and or if you're planning on putting in any perennials, especially like fruit trees, berry bushes, um, asparagus, you know, those types of things, maybe an herb garden. You don't want those to be in that hard uh, frost line either over the winter because it's going to, uh, you know, potentially be harder on on those plants, uh, depending on what they're rated to as far as the low temperatures that they can survive during the winter months. So just some of some of those things to just kind of look at at first and to document, um, documenting, you know, what surrounding things you've got, like trees that have leaves or don't have leaves in the wintertime, you know, once they're leafed out, they're going to throw more shade, just kind of just taking some time to be aware of the surroundings, how the sun comes up on your property, you know, where's your southern exposure, um, ex you know, those types of things. And just kind of mapping that out is some of the things that I really like to do first. So then I can accurately decide what is going where. We didn't do that when we first moved in. We didn't take into account. And then I had to move our first orchard of, thankfully it was only like five trees, but I had to move them <laughs> uh, two years later because they were not thriving because I hadn't paid attention to that, which then set us back like an extra year before we actually got fruit off of them because they were very immature. So it seems like such a simple, simple little step, but it's right. actually, it, it can be really important. So that would be that. And then, you know, with all of the livestock, like chickens are great because you can build a chicken tractor pretty inexpensively and move that around the property, especially if you're getting, you know, chicks in the spring or even the summer and move that around and be on the land for a while and actually living there before you have to put in an actual permanent structure. 
And we actually even overwinter our chickens in our chicken tractor um, and we'll and we'll move them around. So that's nice because when you're wanting to put in your barns and if you're having you know water put in and water sources and all of that for some of the other livestock, um, it get, allows you to get started with the chickens and you do get eggs, uh, depending on how old the chickens are when you get them. If you get them as chicks, it's going to be about six months, but it allows you to start to get some daily food source from them relatively soon without a huge investment in putting in a ton of infrastructure. So that that would be kind of those first things. And then, you know, with the vegetable garden, a lot of it that first year is going to depend on when you actually get the property basis on what you're going to actually be able to plant. You know, if you get it in wintertime, you'll probably be able to prep beds, you know, come spring and put in a full summer garden. But, you know, if you buy it, say, in August, uh, you might be able to get in some fall crops, um, but you're probably not going to be able to put in the majority of the garden obviously that late in the year, that type of thing. So some of it will depend upon that. Have you guys started looking at property? We have. There's been a couple that we've seen. It's such a tricky time right now. There is one particular we just saw last week. And luckily it does have some fencing and a barn that's already on the property. But I'm not cautiously optimistic, um, but I'm not counting anything yet. Yeah, I know. It seems... It, it seems no matter what part of the country you're in right now, that property or housing like just goes so fast and can get into bidding wars. It's a hard time to buy, really. Yes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm sorry for that, but <laughs> I'm glad that you're just you're like, OK, I'm being cautiously optimistic. So you're not getting your heart too set on it. But, you know, if you could if obviously if you could get property that already does have a barn and fences in, um, then that's one thing that you'll be able to take advantage of uh, maybe with doing some, you know, depending on what type of shape it's in, you may have to do some shoring up type of thing, but at least part of it's already in. Right. Yeah. You know, some of the things, depending on, on what you're doing now, because I know you mentioned um, wanting to do like, you know, preserving and teaching and doing that type of thing. Are you also wanting to put in like fruit trees and berry trees? Or are you thinking more like your reg- like just regular vegetables or a mixture of both? No, a mixture of, of both and, and all the things, um, including herbs and like a, a medical medicinal type garden space and a tea garden and yeah, all the things. All those things. Yeah. I, I girl after my own heart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So some of the things really that you could do now, especially with things like blueberry bushes if that's one of the fruits you plan on growing, but some of those fruits that are more shallow rooted, uh, raspberry canes, and definitely quite a few of the herbs is you can start growing those in some of the grow bags or the containers so that you can get them going now, but you'll be able to move and take them with you because like blueberries, usually it's about, they need to be about three years old. If you're getting one year old plants or starts uh, before you allow them to the blossoms to actually form and create the berries so that their root system can become established and you'll have a good plant that will be vigorous for years to come. And so you can get them, obviously, the younger they are and the smaller they are, usually the cheaper they are. So you could get some of those things started now in some of those smaller grow bags and stuff because they're small, even perennial wise. And then you'll be able to move them with you when you get wherever you're at. And it'll kind of be a jump start on those, especially the perennial type things. Um, so that would be something that I would look at doing, uh, even with the herb garden, uh, because, you know, like yarrow and feverfew, they don't have extensive roots. And so they can be grown even in smaller plants, even your lavender, you know, young lavender starts 
do well in pots, rosemary, like there's quite a few of the herbs actually that grow really, really well in containers. So if you don't already have them, that would be a great thing that you could do now that would set you up. So once you get there, then you can just, uh, you know, you can still keep them, do some evaluating, but you'll be able to get them in the ground and kind of give you a year or two's jumpstart versus if you're waiting until you're actually on the property to get those. Do you have any specific questions for, you know, the livestock or anything else really with the property, like, like pre that you could do now, or like when you first get on it, that type of thing? So I guess, especially when it comes to livestock, because I don't have any experience with that, it's what, I mean, other than chickens, which are really easy to kind of start with, what would you suggest being the first animal to start with where you could really learn quite a bit before you add more? Because I assume adding one at a time would be better than just getting them all. Yeah, I would recommend like like definitely the chickens. I mean, I, I'm with you. I feel like chickens are small enough and our chickens are relatively easy. I mean, with any animal, there's always things that can crop up. They're an animal. But I feel overall chickens are pretty easy uh, to deal with when you're looking at the bigger livestock. Yeah, I would. I agree with that. It's easier to add one larger form of livestock, get confident and comfortable with that and then move on and bring the next thing. So what I would like, what I look is with your, if you're doing pigs, most of the time, you're not going to start with a breeding pair. And I probably wouldn't recommend starting with a breeding pair because that's a whole nother level is getting some piglets and then you're raising them depending upon the breed. So if you're doing something like a, a Hereford, um, you know, there you're going to get them. And at about six months, six to eight months of age, they're going to be harvestable butcher size. So you're not dealing with them year round. And you're getting a fairly large amount of meat back in a pretty short period. I mean, six to nine months, you know, that's pretty short for, for a pig. Like you're getting quite a bit of meat, you know, usually, usually at least 150, 200 pounds of meat, depending on, depends on the breed, et cetera. But you're, you're getting a good portion of, of meat. And then you're getting that break through the wintertime of not, of not raising them. So that kind of gives you some time to think about what do I want to add in next? Or do we want to do pigs again? Maybe we need to change some things and with the pin or what we're doing, but it gives you kind of that break to evaluate before you start in again, or it might be like, oh my gosh, like we love this. Let's look at getting our own breeding pair and going that route. But it gives you some time to kind of pull back and do an assessment and then decide the best way to move forward rather than if you get goats, which I know if you've listened to any of the previous podcast episodes, I have a little grudge against goats because I haven't had the best experience (laughs) with goats. However, a lot of people love their goats. Goats you can have as a dairy animal, also as a meat animal, et cetera. They can help clear brush. Uh, They will eat things, even if things you don't want them to. They're notorious for getting out of fences, but they have a a lot of good qualities. So I'm, I'm slowly being won over, even though we don't have goats at the moment. But your goats are something where you're gonna be dealing with them all year round. And I will say too, like any of the, pretty much all of the livestock, even your cows, but the, the goats and the pigs, you definitely want to do at least a pair. They don't do well by themselves. And honestly, it's pretty much this, almost the same amount of work to raise two as it is one um, and even three as it is two. Yes, you're going to have to buy a little bit more feed, but you know, you're, as long as you have the space, you know, you're just increasing the size of, of the pen or where you have them out or if you're moving them that type of thing. But really the day-to-day labor and work isn't 
hardly anything more to do three pigs as it is to do two pigs. Now, if you go from like three pigs to 10, yeah, that's going to be a little bit, but um, you know that. So there's kind of those things to consider um, with the goats. But even, you know, with that, if you get, you know, like, you know, she's, she's bred, you're looking for to be a milk animal and you're getting what some, a goat that has been milked is an established milker. She's already been trained to milk. If you're looking at dairy goats um, and she's already bred and then, you know, that as soon as she has the baby, then she'll be in milk again. So you can get an animal like that. That's going to start providing you with milk pretty soon. And then you can decide, you know, if you want to raise the baby up for meat, if it's a male or if you're going to have, you know, increase the dairy line, et cetera. So, you know, there's lots of lots of ways, but I would pick one or the other. And I I feel from if you do go the dairy goat route, then you're going to have the milking part, which is more of a commitment and has to be done, you know, consistently and daily. So I feel like pigs might be easier to start with, but either one could be started and done very successfully. It's also like, what is your what's your burning desire? Like which one? Like if you're like, no, I want a dairy animal like right now, then I would say go for that if that's your you know what you really want. But I do feel that the pigs personally from our experience are going to be a little bit easier to jump into and not as much of an overall commitment as dairy goats. And I'm sure this is something I could look up, but is there, in your opinion, what's the best like amount of space you need for like to start with pigs? Yeah, that's a great question. And there is like general, you know, general rules, rules of thumb. We, we ideally really like to have our pigs. They are great rooters. So when you buy the property, if you have an area where you do have brush or you've got some stuff that you would like removed, we have blackberry vines here like no other. They just, they're certified as a noxious weed. We're actually where we live. And so we like to put the pigs in spots like that where we want that cleared for more pasture for the cows or we need that brush to be knocked back. And so they're excellent, excellent rooters. And of course, when they're littler, you're going to have a smaller area, obviously, because they're small. You do want to make sure, though, that they do have somewhere that they can get out. And this can be established with, you know, we have taken pallets, actually, and just use old wooden pallets and created a, a box so that they could go in and have shade in the summertime. They definitely need to have shade. But then secondly, when it still was colder, especially when they're little piglets, uh, you want to make sure that they have a spot that they can go in. We would fill it up with straw so that they could even burrow under the straw and together uh, to get, you know, when it's cold out, because they don't have a lot of fur. They do have a, I mean, they're not furry like a cow or a goat, but they do have hair on them. Um, but when they're really little and tiny, you know, they still, they just don't generate as much body heat. So they need somewhere that they can go and make sure that they stay warm. They have an area that they can be dry, you know, all of those things. But that can be provided with a relatively small, like I said, we just have used pallets um, and then put a piece of plywood on top and then covered that with canvas so that it didn't leak and, and get a lot of rain on it. Well, got a lot of rain, but not that got into the structure. Um, but as they grow, you definitely are going to want to be able to either have a pen that you can move. So basically doing pasture rotation. And so pigs are really good at respecting hot wire. Pigs are extremely smart, but you do want to see on the property that you do have somewhere where you have access to electricity and, or if you've got like a solar panel that will operate a hot wire because they do root. And so they will dig under 
um, any type of fencing that you have and can get out. They're a little bit of Houdini's that way. But if, if you run a piece of hot wire just down low at the ground level on the circumference of the area, then as they start to dig, they're going to hit their snout on it and they're going to get a little shock and they'll be like, oh, I don't want to dig here. And then they're very good at respecting that. But I would recommend that you have some capability to run a hot wire to help train them and keep them in. Otherwise, they will get out. And I have chased pigs in my day. And it's it's quite entertaining if you're not the one chasing them, <laughs> but they can be hard to wrangle back in. And they are fast, surprisingly, for for being, you know, chubby little short legged things. Uh, <laughs> they can move. <laughs> They're really fast and actually quite agile. So definitely want to make sure that you, you've got like I said, they do have solar different solar things. That you could look at battery powered that will run um you know, hotlines and fences if you don't have electricity out there. But that is something to keep in mind is some type of electrical uh, that would be near enough to their pen that you can run some hot wire. Um, and then, like I said, we like to try to move them around the pasture so that they are getting on some fresh ground. They were using them to root up and, and dig up. And also, depending on the property that you buy, like if it's been used as a farm for a lot of years and it's not been a place that's used pasture rotation much, or has had large livestock on it, and even like goats, like our our back, our pasture land has been pasture for cattle and horses for, oh gosh, my grandparents bought it, I think like back in the 1950s. So for like 70, 80 years, it's had large animals on it, which means that the pasture, the ground is actually quite compacted. Um, it mm. hasn't, it hasn't been worked. And so we also have a lot of moss here. Now that might not be something that, that you're dealing with where in the Pacific Northwest, I feel like any wet fungal stuff we just tend to deal with. So some of our pasture has had a lot of moss that has come into it and then it's really compacted. And so the grass has a harder time growing through there and the more compact it is, it's just harder on the root system. So we even will move the pigs. It's not necessarily where we need brush clearing all the time, but if we have an area that we want to be rooted up so that we can reseed and we can get that moss out of there and more aeration in there, um, and so it's not so compacted and it can drain better, then that means we'll be able to keep the moss out um, and be able to grow some better crops and get that reseeded with some clover and different pasture mixtures and that type of thing. So we'll also use them for compacted. So if you do buy a piece of property that has had livestock on it and it's compacted, the pigs can also be great uh, to help improve that. Um, and we usually, we just have to run the one strand of the hot wire just around the bottom you know, a couple mm -hmm. inches from the ground. And then we'll just use the like um, hog panel fencing with some T-posts. And you do have to pull the T-posts up and, you know, undo the fencing, but there's also even like electric netting, which makes it pretty easy to move them, you know, from area to area. So the size, the whole point I was trying to make with this big long story <laughs> is that the size can be a little bit relative. And so if you're moving them to fresh pasture, then you don't are fresh ground. You don't have to have as large as a permanent pin because they're getting moved to fresh ground. If you don't ever plan on moving them, they're going to be staying in this same area the whole time. Then you would want it to be bigger because they are going to, you know, obviously poop and, and get it, you know, nastier a lot faster. So a little bit, depending upon what type of management you plan on doing with the pigs does have some bearing on how big do I actually need to go. What would you say is the most important thing to do first? Oh, gosh, that is a great question. And I know when I ask questions like this, I sometimes am like, that is not the answer I want. 
<laughs> so, so don't throw tomatoes at me. But it really is going to be dependent on on each person and what their ultimate goals are. Um, and so, if you're like, man, I want to have a, a goat dairy where we're making, you know, goat milk's cheese, and you know, we have uh, dairy issues where people in your family can't have cow's milk, then I would be like, okay, then you actually do want to start with goats. But if that's not the case you know, as we've been talking, then pigs are a great place. So some of it really does depend upon what your ultimate goals are and what's like most important immediately for your family. Like if there are dietary restrictions or different, different things like that, but really this is probably going to sound almost counterintuitive because I know as homesteaders, we are so excited to get started on things and we want all the things we want to be as self-sufficient as possible. And that encompasses a lot of things It can be really hard to hold ourselves back. But really is if you can get the property and spend some time on it before making any major decisions or especially doing any major infrastructure like building a barn or putting in like permanent like wood fences, like T-posts and wire. Yes, it's labor intensive to remove them to a degree, but it can be done pretty easily. Um, Whereas if you are doing wooden fences where you're having to dig holes it's a lot harder to move those wooden fence posts and wooden fence line than it is to just pull up a t-post you know and then just uh, you know and wind up the wire move it over wherever you need to put it and do it you you do have the labor cost obviously even if it's your own labor there's a time involvement cost but it's a it's different than moving something like a building or you know fruit trees that you had planted in the wrong spot and depending on how big their roots are can you even dig them up without damage them do you have to rent a, you know a like a big piece of equipment because the roots, the trees have gotten so big when you need to move them, that type of thing. So really, if you can stay on the property and, and live there for a while uh, before doing anything permanent, like if you're growing in grow bags or large containers, or you know you can get away with maybe just one large raised bed, if raised beds are the option you're going, instead of putting them all in that first season, just to make sure like, yes, this is actually the ideal spot for the garden. And this is the ideal spot for that before you make it permanent or go bigger. But I know that that is so hard to do when we're like (laughs) so excited to do all the things and sometimes necessity, like, no, I really need to have, you know, I need to get these things in so that they can start providing for us. Like, I understand that too, but it's that whole thing. Like, you know, what is it? And is it an an ounce of, oh, I'm a pound of prevention is worth an ounce of cure. Amen. That's what I was going for. Yes. It's really kind of that type of type of thing. But I know that that can be hard, hard to do. Yeah. You know, and really like reaching out once you find the property is reaching out to other people in that area who are doing what you want to be doing. So, it, you know, and that would also be where you would probably be able to find your local pigs if you go in the pig route or the dairy goat route. But really being able to uh, reach out to people who are in your local area and and ask them, go and shadow their place for a day or two, that type of a thing. Um, because most most of us homesteaders and farmers and that like are more than happy. Like when we find someone who is wanting to learn about what it is we do, you get it's really exciting. And so most people are pretty open-handed, you know, not all, but I found found most people are pretty open-handed. They, you know, you could come, you can ask them questions. They're happy to help. Um, and that type of a thing. So if you can find people in your area, one to just get yourself entrenched into the community, because that's another big part of, of homesteading, especially when you're moving to an area that you don't know, but it'll also, they'll be able to help you with things that are very specific to your 
area and your climate and be able to guide you through some of that stuff too. Okay. Yeah. Well, Stephanie, I thank you so much for coming on. We definitely appreciate you being an Academy member. And I, if you have more questions um, as things come up or as you find the property, obviously uh, let us know, ask on our the monthly Q&A as well as in the Circle community uh, because we are going to be so excited to see the development of it and to help you along the way. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Melissa. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to have step-by-step guidance and support for your homestead journey, not only from me, but from this amazing community of members, make sure you go on over and get on that wait list at melissaknorris.com forward slash PTA for when we open the doors. Now on to our verse of the week. I have actually been reading through Ezekiel that I don't always just pick a specific chapter of the Bible, or I should say book, not a chapter. I don't always pick a specific, well, chapter or book of the Bible to read all the way through, but I felt a nudge to go through the entire book of Ezekiel. So I am on chapter 22 and specifically verse 30. And this is the Amplified Translation of the Bible. And I sought a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. And as I was reading that, it really struck me how we as Christians, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that we have a beautiful gift that we can stand in the gap for people who either aren't believers yet or are struggling, maybe they are believers and they are struggling with an issue. And so this is in our prayer life, especially if you ever This has happened to me as a mom, but it's also happened to me with family members and even friends, very rarely leaders, as in like leaders of our country, though sometimes, but more, most of the time, it's more of a very personal, it's people that I know personally. But if you have ever felt this overwhelming burden that just comes to mind, where you're thinking about this person and you feel like you need to pray for them, as my children have gotten older. I have felt this definitely for my children at different times. And most of the time, it's when they are not at home. Or sometimes it's in the middle of the night when you wake up in the middle of the night and you just can't go back to sleep and somebody or a situation is really on your mind. Those are the times when I don't ignore them and I immediately go to the Lord in prayer and stand in the gap between a calamity or something that feels like it's a problem for them and that I am standing in the gap asking God for protection, deliverance, healing, whatever, whatever it may be. But that's kind of, if you're not really familiar with the term, like, what do you mean by stand in the gap? Uh, That's what we mean by that. It's completely in prayer. And as I was reading that verse, there was nobody to stand in the gap before the Lord. Now, this is, of course, talking about um, in the Old Testament and the destruction of of Jerusalem when they had done a lot of very grievous sins and you've got when, you know, the Babylonians came in and took so many of them out into captivity. There's a whole timeline and and stuff there, but it also applies to us spiritually 
that there are times when we can stand in the gap for someone and our prayers definitely make a difference, a huge difference. I know when people have prayed for me and I didn't know about it until later, and it is was in a situation that was ex- extremely hard. And I know that their prayers made a difference. And even today, when, when people pray for me, um, I know that it makes a really big difference. So I just wanted to share that with you because I know for myself that there are still times when there are situations that I should do more standing in the gap in prayer than I am doing. So I just wanted to share that with you because it's a, really what I'm working my way through right now and thought if I am going through this, then I'm sure some of you are too and could use the reminder. So thank you so much for joining us this week. I will be back here with you next week. Until then, blessings in mason jars for now. Thank you.